Welcome to Unboxed. I'm your host, Connie Nam, the founder of Astrid and Mew. In these conversations, I speak to the founders of some of the most innovative, bold, and exciting businesses to discover the person behind the brand and what it took for them to build their empires. Today, my guest is Joe Touchner-Sharp, who is the founder of Scamp and Dude. This episode is a must-listen if you want to build a cult brand. You'll hear how to create a genuine community, how to approach PR on a shoestring budget, and how a life-threatening experience has taught Joe how to build a genuine purpose into her brand. They woke me up in the middle of the night and said, You've had a brain hemorrhage, and that was the moment when my life just completely changed forever. I'd launched Scamp and Dude, and Liberty had said to me, can we see your next collection? And I was like, what? I haven't got another collection. All I'm doing is packing orders. This episode is sponsored by Payhawk. Growing a business from a startup to a scale-up comes with many challenges. One way to solve this is to introduce effective systems at the right time. Payhawk, a corporate card and expenses management solution for scale-ups, have literally transformed many lives at Astrid and Mew since implementing earlier this year. To simplify, Payhawk combines company cards, reimbursable expenses, accounts payable, and seamless accounting software integrations into a single product that can be used globally. If you would like to find out more, schedule a demo using the link in the show notes. And be sure to tell them you came from the Unbox podcast to receive a 20% discount. So, Joe, tell me all about yourself. Wow, where do I start? <laughs> so, my name's Joe, and I am the founder of Scamp and Dude. So, Scamp and Dude is a superpower infused fashion brand turning the world of fashion into a force for good. So, a lot more to us than just cool clothes. Before I started Scamp and Dude, I grew up in Shropshire, a little town near Shrewsbury called Wem, and went to university, studied fashion promotions, then started working in PR. Fashion to start with, moved into beauty PR, then was head of press for Estee Lauder and launched Tom Ford Beauty into the UK, which was an amazing experience, and then set up my own PR company called Beauty Scene. It's now known as The Scene Group, and ran that for eight years before setting up Scamp and Dude. And what's the inspiration behind Scamp and Dude? I know briefly that you went through a traumatic experience before this. Yes. Can you tell me more? So I was selling my shares in my PR company and it's an incredibly stressful thing to do. Leaving your own company that you've set up with started from absolutely nothing and it's really a very emotional thing to leave your company and I found it really stressful and it's always difficult trying to negotiate how much your shares are worth and all this kind of thing. It's a tricky time. And my kids were only one and three at the time. In fact, Jude was younger than one. And it was very, very stressful. And I found myself with th this spasm in my face. And I went to the doctors and said, what is this spasm? Um, like my whole cheek was kind of twitching. And he'd said, you're so stressed. Whatever's going on in your life, just close it up, finish it up because you are so stressed, you're going to make yourself ill. So I went home, closed the deal as it was, was like, I'll just take that. That's fine. I'm not going to negotiate anymore. And I put in the email, I feel like my head is going to explode. I'm so stressed. I feel like my head's going to explode. Then I went home and I was working on setting up a skincare line. That's what I was, was going to be working on. Started working on that and literally... A couple of weeks later, I had this excruciating headache, like someone was literally stabbing me in the back of my eye. 
and went to the doctors. They sent me to the hospital. The hospital started treating me for meningitis. They thought it was meningitis at the time. So I had um, a CT scan and then they woke me up in the middle of the night and said, you've had a brain hemorrhage and you've got a lump on your brain. Have you got any history of cancer in your family? And that was the moment when my life just completely changed forever. I was in this dark hospital room thinking about my kids who were one and three. And just all I could think about was, oh my God, I cannot leave those boys without a mum. What on earth is going to happen? This was one o'clock in the morning and I was up all night then just thinking that basically that over and over again, I cannot leave them and what on earth will happen to them and horrible, horrible thoughts going around my head. And to cut a long story short, I then found out I had to have brain surgery to remove the lump and the run up to the brain surgery, I found myself spending quite a lot of time thinking, looking back over my life. It's really true what they say about the pearly gates and when you think your life might be about to end, that you do look back over it. And for me, it wasn't about places I hadn't managed to be or anything like that. It was, for me, it was this real feeling of, I haven't done enough good. Who have I helped? I've worked in PR, I've run a PR agency. I've had a great time, but what's my legacy? I haven't actually helped anybody. I haven't made a difference to this world in any shape or form. And I didn't really know that was important to me until that moment And then I was facing brain surgery and didn't know if I was going to come out. So that feeling of this might be too late to make a change was a horrible feeling that would always, always stay with me. I'll never forget that feeling. And I made a pact to myself, if I come out of this surgery, I'm going to do whatever I do next. It will be something that makes a difference, that really helps people. So that next time I find myself at those pearly gates, I'll be proud and I'll go, I helped lots of people. Okay, I'm ready to go. Luckily for me, I did come out of the surgery and was fine. I mean, so many people come out of brain surgery with completely different people and and unable to walk or talk. Or I was really lucky in that way that I'm luckily still the same person, but I have a new fire in my belly and I no longer see barriers. I think I can do anything. <laughs> like I can, we'll find a way. It's like this new lease of life and this new kind of fire that's just anything's possible and a real positivity and appreciation for life. And when I was in the hospital and after the surgery, one side of my head was shaved, 20 staples down my head. I looked horrendous and didn't want my kids to see me like that. They would have been terrified. So I didn't see them for 10 days. And that's a long time to spend away from your little children. And I spent a lot of time thinking, what do I wish I could have given them to comfort them while we were apart? And the What I came up with was, I wish I could have given them a little cuddly superhero. And if I could have said, this little snuggly superhero is going to look after you while we're apart and you snuggle onto it, it's going to keep you safe. And on the back, I thought if I had, if there was a pocket, I could have put my photo and said, mummy's still with you. I'm still there. And they could have hugged onto me and kept me close. And I thought, why don't I make these? This could be like my get well goal. I could make these and I could donate one to a child who does lose a parent or seriously ill themselves for everyone sold so that was it then I was like right I'm going to do this I didn't even think of it as a business I just thought this is going to help me get better I'm going to start I'm going to make these superheroes and that was the very start of Scamp and Dude the first little kind of whisper of Scamp and Dude oh that's incredible in hospital and yeah wow and how did it evolve since then so that was the idea in hospital as soon as I came out I started looking for how do you make them? I mean, that was the start of it. I mean, I'd never worked in production before. 
and started forming the actual brand. Like I came out of hospital in the January and registered the name Scamp and Dude in March. And then we launched the brand into Liberty in the November of that same year. And I look back at that timeline now going, my God. But How did everything happen well, so quickly? I know. <laughs> did, did your PR background help? Your 100%. Network, yeah. but, but I think the biggest thing was this, when I say about that fire in your belly, mm. it was an absolute, I'm going to do something that's going to help some people and I'm going to do it now. And I'm not wasting. I was so impatient and I just absolutely went for it. And I was loving what I was doing. It was like, it gave me such purpose to think, I'm going to help all these kids with these little superheroes. And then I thought I want to do a clothing line to go with it. So I want a superpower infused clothing line. Kids going to nursery or going to school can wear it and feel full of superpowers. Like they've got the strength to be separated from their loved ones. And our little neon bolt that's on all of our clothes that's our superpower button and that's for the kids to press to get their superpowers and then I did do a few women's sweatshirts when we launched just because when I was getting the samples in I was going oh my god I want to wear this so I did them in adult sizes as well and then when we launched into Liberty and onto our website I couldn't keep the adults sweatshirts in stock like literally gone and Liberty were like okay we need a lot more of those let's have more yeah I I do remember this because (laughs) I am a massive fan of scamping dude and my children have multiples of jumpers that they went through I sent you a photo yeah it is very cute and like I could not buy find a jumper for myself because I wanted to get matching jumpers so I yes it was uh it was it was a very steep learning curve when we launched and then the women's wear, the women's side of things just has just completely exploded. And it's now like 96% of the company wow. is women's wear. And the kids wear will always be important and a mm. really important part of, of the brand. But it's evolved so much over the last yeah. seven years. It, is that a deliberate transition or did that happen organically? It happened organically. It was what the customer wanted. And then dresses when we... We were getting nominated for awards and I was having to go up in other brands' dresses because I'd started doing loungewear for adults. So we had sweatshirts and joggers. And then I, we'd get invited to these really glamorous award ceremonies. And I was like, I can't go up there in a tracksuit. <laughs> so, so I was like, we were, and also I, I wear dresses a lot. So I was like, I need, I want dresses. So let's start doing scamp and do dresses. And a lot of it came when, as I was growing the team as well, because I mean, like I said, I'd never worked in production before. I didn't have factory contacts and I'd found my factory for the kids wear, who we're still with now for our kids wear and for our sweatshirts and hoodies. But I didn't know, I didn't have loads of contacts with factories. So to make a dress, it wasn't a simple thing. And it was as we grew the team and I got those expertise in and those contacts of people who knew the best sustainable and ethical factories to use. Um, that's when things really started to we could really move forward and that's when we were able to start launching accessories and outerwear and denim, we've got jeans, denim dresses, we've got everything now because the team's grown, the contacts have grown, the expertise grown, which has, I mean, you look back to those early days compared to now and it's a completely different world from when it was like a one-man band yeah and, and you had one store initially in Belsize Park didn't you in Highgate in Highgate yeah. and now you've got multiples of stores tell me more about your physical retail and channel strategy so the Highgate store I opened that in 2018 so we launched in 2016 so we were only really really a baby baby brand and the only reason I really opened it Instagram had asked if we wanted to do a pop-up shop with them when they were launching their shopping feature back in um, 2018 and there was some other brands as well and it was in Covent Garden and I absolutely loved it 
because I loved meeting the customer. I loved having that dialogue with the customer thinking, God, this is great. And then I did a little pop-up shop at Soho Farmhouse as well. And again, loved getting to meet. And I wasn't there the whole time we had the pop-up. The days that I was, it was, it was so great. And I thought, God, maybe I do want a shop. I hadn't really thought of it. And then one of our um, stockists, they contacted me because I put up a little shout out on Instagram saying I'm looking for an office space. As I took on, 2018 was when I took on my first proper employee who was going to come work four days a week with me. And I thought, shouldn't really be the kitchen table anymore. So we were looking for a little small office space. And she said, I'm closing my business actually. And the shop has got an office below it teeny tiny would fit three desks that's it but there's only two of us and you could have the shop and the shop would cover your rent if you take the shop as well and it was in Highgate we lived in Crouch End so it's one of those fate things that you just think this is just yeah, this I need, to, to I need yeah meant to be I need to give this a go so we opened it, it was it absolutely tiny little shop mm. but it was really exciting really fun thing to do my kids absolutely loved it they were there on launch day scanning the barcodes and <laughs> It was it was brilliant, but it was very much a kind of a beginner's guide to opening a shop. Then we moved out of London four and a bit years ago, just before the pandemic. And we moved to Cookham, which is near Marlow. I closed the shop mainly because we, well, partly because we'd moved out, partly because the lease came up and we were in the middle of COVID. I didn't renew it. I was like, no, 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 that's fine. We're going to just focus on online. And then coming out the other side of COVID... I was suddenly thinking, I, I'm desperate to go back. To, as a consumer, I'm desperate to get back into the shops. I'm desperate to get back with mixing with people and seeing people touching clothes and being back in that kind of retail environment. And my husband said to me, I think we should open a shop in Marlow. And I was like, oh God, I do not have the capacity to even think about that. We're so busy, I can't. And he said, well, what if I do it? What if I, he was getting fed up with his uh, his business and he was like, I just, I'd love to do this. Let's, let's, I, I'll look for the space. I'll do all the negotiations with the landlords. I'll do, I'll, I'll arrange the whole renovations. It's like, let's do it then. This is around the time we first met. Yes. Right? You were talking yeah. about the shop in Marlow. Yeah. So we opened the shop in Marlow and it was absolutely one of the best things we've ever done. It's been fantastic. We hold regular events there. Our customers come from all, we had an event last night and there was customers from, the Isle of Wight, who had come just for the event. That's incredible. And they were staying the, for the night. And Super there was fun. <laughs> people from Mansfield who had come up, they'd travel three hours to come. Everyone you were talking to, they were all like, oh, we've, yeah, we've traveled two hours to come to this party. And you're like, oh my goodness. Um, incredible. It's been brilliant. So, yeah, and I can see cues um, yeah. around all your store openings. How do you create that? And how did you build that community? I think the community side has been something. I think that's my PR background's definitely helped with that. It comes very naturally to me that you need to, that you want to be close to your customer and really understand them and understand what they want. But also, I think because of the purpose of the brand, they love what we're doing. So there's a real loyalty mm. to what we're doing. Yeah. So we started with our superhero sleep buddies. We've donated 6,000, just over 6,800 of those now. But we also launched our Super Scarf mission. So I was making relationships with so many women who were going through a really hard time with cancer or any other kind of life-threatening diseases. And, and I was sending them sweatshirts because I was just going to need to do something with this poor woman having this terrible time. And my accountant said to me, Joe, you've sent over 350 sweatshirts out to people for nothing. For And I was like, oh God, but they just need some soup. They just need some superpowers. They need to know that... And then I thought, okay, this is not great business sense. I'm going to have to make something 
with a proper donation mechanic like our sleep buddies. So I thought, what did I love when I was in hospital? And I loved a scarf from home that I could wrap myself up in. When you're there in a hospital gown in a clinical room, it just felt really lovely to wrap myself up in a, it's like a comfort blanket really. So I thought I want to make a superpower infused scarf to wrap these women up who are going through probably the hardest time of their life, diagnosed with cancer, going in for chemotherapy. I want them to be gifted with one of our scarves, really soft, to be told they're full of superpowers and get them through it, wrap themselves up like a lovely comfort blanket. So that was the mission was to try and donate one of our scarves. We donate one for everyone sold and we want to try and donate one to every woman starting chemo and the stats in a year, that's 63,000 women will start chemo in a year. So that was our mission this year. We're, we're on, we've now donated 32,000 of these scarves, which we're really, really proud of, but we really want to get to 63,000. So we're on a big old mission. We've got all sorts of people designing scarves for us to try and spread the word. We also need more hospital partners because we've got about 230 hospital partners at the moment, but there's actually 930 NHS hospitals in the UK. So anyone that knows any, has any contact with any Macmillan nurses or oncology departments, I'd love them to get in touch with us so we can build those relationships and send them scarves. Because like I said, we're trying to, we're trying to get them to every single woman who starts chemo. So we've still got a way to go to get them in, in every hospital across the country. I absolutely love that. And your husband, he's now involved in the he, business yeah, full, so full he, time. Yes, he closed his business last year and came in and it's made such a difference because he is so good with systems and processes and and he's really good at all the things that I'm not, which mm. is brilliant because I think that's when it works really well. So we both know which bits we're in, involved in so far it's it's been brilliant and hey he cares as much as I do like he loves the brand as much as I do like he's been there the whole time even from a like just from a family support yeah, way course. he's been part of the journey so yeah. he is as passionate as I am which is amazing yeah and what does the team look like now so we've got there's just around 50 of us in head office and then obviously we've got all the store stuff on top of that but the team now are Absolutely. We've got a really great team, really, really, really great team and a really lovely atmosphere in the office as well. And I did never take it for granted because it, for a long time it was just me and then it was just two people and some freelancers. And it's been quite slow building up the team to start with. And then suddenly it's kind of exploded into more and more people because we've been growing so quickly that I've had to bring people on to be able to actually manage the growth. And I still, I guess, it, like the shoot, we've had a shoot this morning and I have to do very little apart from to turn up and be in that shoot now. Whereas, you know, before it used to be me having to book the photographer, look for the venue, like organize exactly what look, put this plan together. And it's like, I still appreciate it now. I'm like, oh. Thanks for you. We did all of this. <laughs> that is the best feeling, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Oh and God. they do it so much better than you do. Oh, totally. It's, totally. This is what I was saying before about the um, the photo shoots. Like we, I used to run every single photo shoot and be like art direct it and put all the looks together. And now we've got a new head of creative who has come in. She's running the photo shoots. And people used to always say to me, oh, it's really important that you do that. You should be the one doing that. Don't lose that. And I was thinking, mm, pretty sure someone else could do this better than I can. I think I'm going to give it a go, brought her in and she's doing it so much better than I did it. All of our creative looks so much better. And like, 
no, 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 I don't, it doesn't have to be me that does it. So I think it's those letting go of bits that you think is really important for you to do. It's like social media. I hung on to doing the social media for so long. And you were so good at it. I, lo- I loved it. So I was like, no, I need to, I need to do it because I love it. And I, I've got to be, and then you're like, I can't, I can't do everything. It's like when you have done everything, it's really hard letting go of bits, isn't it? I'm sure you found the same. Yeah. What have you found the most hard to let go of? Oh, I think compared to other founders, like I, I find it easier to let links go because I know that I have a lot of shortcomings. <laughs> and whenever I hire people, they do the job so much better than I do. So it has been an easier process compared to like what other founders say. But I think one of the things that I held on to for a long time is like business forecasting because I did investment banking and I thought like, uh, oh, this is my yeah. area of expertise. So I need to do the modeling. So I held on to the spreadsheet for a long time. Uh, but as soon as like I heard um, currently our finance director who joined us, our finance manager, it was transformative because she does it so much better than I do. And she's got all those natural strengths. Like yeah. she analyzes all the data, looks at all the historicals and details. Whereas like for me, it was more top line and very mm. rough. Mm. everything's forecasted down to the T so much better now. Oh, so that's good. like one thing. And I guess like the creatives and the marketing, I always had a good team, but I always looked at it in detail. But now I've kind of like let go, let let the team flourish and let those ideas flourish. And it's so much better now mm. as well. You know, like every single thing, it like as soon as I let go, that area becomes so much better. <laughs> uh, so this is, this, is where, this is where I'm coming to now is going, right, who else do we need in the team and what else could I let go? Yeah. And just, I think for longevity, as we scale, it's like I, what I'm doing at the moment is just, it is still too much. So it's like looking at which bit could I then, who could I bring on so I could let go of something else because yeah. it's not sustainable working as I am currently. So it's, I think once you've acknowledged that, you go, okay, so let's now look at which bits I could pass on to someone else yeah. and let someone yeah. else do. Yeah, and where do you spend your energy on? right now design is still an area I'm very very involved in we have I do have a design team now I used to design it um, myself initially and then that's something that's much better now because we have designers my design team have very much uh, upscaled everything but a lot of them are what I've wanted to, to have in the collection and but I love that so much that I want to keep doing that side of it. The marketing, social side, I'm starting to let go on that a little bit more and let the team take control of that. But I'm still the one that comes up with the ideas for the campaigns and collaborations. We've just done a big campaign with our Swag Bags with Purpose where we've we've collaborated with lots of beauty um, experts like Sally Hughes, Caroline Hiron, Sam Chapman. There's seven of them who have all designed a makeup bag to raise money for a charity of their choice. And last year we did a We've Got Your Back campaign with Sophie Ellis-Bexter and Billy Piper and Shazne from All Saints, where they all designed a sweatshirt to raise money for things like the, the ideas and the connections have historically always come from me. And that's the thing I want now is to move to try and get more ideas coming from elsewhere and more connections. Mm. And we've got a new marketing director starting in January who is very connected ideas person. So I'm really excited to see how that goes, having that coming into the team as well. I think there's going to be a really great dynamic and a great burst of energy coming in. Yeah, that's amazing. And how did you build out your team? Did you make any mistakes? (laughs) Because I found people are the most rewarding for me, but Mm. they could also be the biggest challenge. Yeah, I think mostly we have been very lucky with our team. It's grown, like I said, it grew very 
slowly at the at the start and now it's kind of picked up pace and I think I think one of the things for me is our office is in Marlow it's not not in London so that's a bit a bit of a challenge it limits your people who will apply for the role I like just when we were we were advertising for our marketing role we had 432 applicants for our mar- head of marketing role which was like oh my goodness wow. this is a, a lot but I think that the fact that you had we're saying two to three days a week in Marlow that does limit because you've got to be on the right side of London if you're in London or on the outskirts of London so we've been thinking maybe we'll have to um, open a London office at some point as well just to make sure we can keep the kind of the talent that we want to attract that we're not limiting us ourselves by saying it's got to be based in Marlow so we're thinking long term like we've got other shops have opened now in Battersea Power Station and Edinburgh and we're looking at opening three more shops every year for the next three years uh, which I'm really interested to talk to you about your shops and where, yes. where which yeah. um, we need to have a separate which, conversation yeah, we're, we're neighbors in Edinburgh yes yeah, yeah. and what is the store rollout um, strategy driven by do you have an investor on board or is it just purely driven by you no I, we don't have an investor I've, I've been I've really tried to keep it just self-funding keep doing things our way uh, for as long as we possibly can and the store rollout really is for a few reasons one Marlowe's done so well and actually surprisingly we found that the margins were actually better for us in the store than they are online because of returns and exchanges. I mean, I don't think customers realize how ex- how much that costs a business. Like for us, if someone exchanges a product, it costs us £10. And if someone's only buying a sweatshirt in the sale, that's like £30. Yeah, we find exactly the same. And the customer loyalty with our physical store customers are so much higher. And customers want... They love the the getting together. Our customers come from all over and meet together in Marlow. And they, they've met on our Facebook group. We've got a Facebook group called Scamp and Dudas. They make friends on that. Then they arrange to meet in the Marlow store. Oh, I love that. For an overnight, they book a hotel and they all have a night together. And I, wow. we've, so we opened, we actually opened what we call the Bolts Room in we've got one in Marlow and one in Edinburgh there's not enough room in the Buttershee shop and it's like a personal shopping area where we've put we've got a Prosecco bar and two changing rooms and seating so that they can go with their friends or the dudas can all meet there and go and and book it out and they can try on everything they can be have drinks and, and have be there for a while because we were finding the more fan customers were then wanting to try on everything they were trying on like 27 things and people who were just coming in new new customers who were just wanting to try on one thing were like Wait, I'm waiting a very long time for these changing rooms. So we we need the bolts so people can go in and try on as much as they can. And it's also makes it a bit more of an experience for them. And I think that's another reason for rolling it out. It's been so successful. Our customers love it. It's better margins for us, actually. You don't get the returns and exchanges. People can try it on. We can hold the events for communities, bringing the communities together and for the customer. They love it. So... What we're trying to do is have a shop in at least 90 minutes away from about 80% of our customers. Obviously keeping a really close eye on cash flow, but wanting to self-fund and aim is three a year, but that's if we hit the targets and the cash flow is as healthy as we hope it will be. You never know. Time's definitely um, a lot tougher at the moment than they have been before for everybody. So as long as things go according to plan, then yeah. 
three a year is the plan. Yeah, absolutely. Cash is king, isn't it? Absolutely, definitely. And it's so incredible how you've built a cult-like following. You're like a cult leader. (laughs) (laughs) If you had to distill that down into essence for, you know, early stage founders who are following this podcast, what kind of advice would you give them? Like what, what is the essence of that, building that cult brand? I think it's come down to the purpose of the brand, if I'm honest. I think people have an emotional connection with the brand because we have an unusual story and reason for coming. And I think most women and actually men as well can understand that feeling, whether you've got kids or not, can can understand that feeling and it touches them. And I think also all the good we're doing now and all, and they will love being part of that as well. And nurturing our community has been another thing. So I would say, one, try and find a purpose. Don't force a purpose. I think that's, I've seen people try and force a purpose and go, quick, get a charity on board so we can say, we, that's not what purpose is. A purpose has to be kind of ingrained in you and has to have a real, real meaning. And purpose doesn't have to always be a charitable thing either. It's just a reason for doing something. But yeah, something- And people are not stupid. They can see right exactly, through Exactly, totally. And it, you can see when it's inauthentic and- you, it needs to be something that also is going to get you up in the morning. So not a fake one. A fake one's not going to get you up in the morning. It's got to be when you're absolutely on your knees and you're totally exhausted, you're going to go, no, I'm doing it for this. And I'm going, I'm, and it gets you up again. I think that's one really important thing. And the other one is the power of community is like nurturing your community. But again, in a really authentic way, like want to be know what people are up to and engage and and nurture them and respect them and appreciate them in in the right way and and keep them close I think that's that's probably the two things I would say yeah and obviously from a tactical point of view you're a PR powerhouse right because you came from a PR background you ran your own agency so for and and PR is so important for mm-hmm. a brand and it was the essence of how I've built up Astro to Mew. what advice would you give an early stage founder around PR if they have no budget what, what would you tell them to do? I'd say the most important thing is networking, actually. So get out there and meet as many people as you possibly can. So for me, when I first started, it was really press was still key. It was still a big, a, the most important thing was to be in those magazines, in those newspapers. And influence was just kind of starting to be a thing. And I made sure I got to know all of the mummy influencers because we launched as a kids brand initially and but not again in an authentic way like not in a what can you do for me it's it's more of a I've always seen things as a what can I do for you too because that was always my tack with PR how can I help you what story can I give you and what press can you give me and I'd always say that to my team as well in the press office I would say don't let journalists treat you in a way where you're like little lap dogs going and just giving them whatever they want this is a two-way street it's a they PRs need journalists as much as journalists need PRs and you're working together to create the best stories you can for whichever brands you're working on. PR is really difficult now when it comes to the magazines because a lot of people want, it's not as easy to meet with the journalists because people don't have time. A lot of the journalists are doing three people's jobs working on so many magazines. So all these press lunches and teas and whatever that we used to do it back in the day, I don't think that happens anywhere near as much anymore. So it is definitely more difficult to get traditional press, but they're engaging with smaller influencers who you love what they do. They're the right kind of customer and they're the people who are following them to be the right kind of customer. I think engaging 
with them would be the best way to start. I think it is, um, you, you hire agencies, you pay an absolute fortune and don't get a lot, a lot back. So I wouldn't go down that street. I would go down a freelancer street for, um, PR. Actually, I've seen a lot more return for using a freelancer who's got those great relationships um, instead of an agency, actually, from my experience from having Scamp and Dude. But yeah, it's a minefield and it's changing all the time. That, that's the other thing. It's like people are saying, actually, it's, there's going to be a shift back to traditional media because influencers are doing too many ads now and it's making them look inauthentic. And you don't, you read all these things all the time. You're like, which way do I go? It's like the algorithm's always changing. You don't quite know what's going on. It's like, definitely keeps us on our toes yeah you always need to be on the pulse don't you yeah exactly but I would say just network as much as you can get to know as many people as you can see how you can help other people too don't just think about how people can help you and that's probably the best thing the best thing to start doing go to as many events as you can and meet people and I think that's yeah that's, that's where I would such start. great advice they think what you can give them as well definitely really yeah, important. love that Joe how do you balance starting a business and motherhood oh I've struggled always struggled with this and I still do now and especially seeing as I had this this thing that I was like I'm I want to do it all I don't want to have a nanny or a um not nothing against people who do just I did personally didn't want to do that so I've lit, literally run myself ragged instead and luckily for me with my husband working now for the business too we share the load massively and one big thing that I things got better when instead of trying to work when I was with the kids I would say to myself put your phone down like say bath time for example I'd always be trying to answer emails while they were in the bath they were trying to talk to me they were getting ratty because I was and I was getting ratty with them because they were interrupting my email put the phone down put it down be with them be really present when you're with them for that hour before bedtime and then get your phone out again and answer all those emails where you can totally focus. That was game changing for me because I was when I was trying to juggle doing both, it was so stressful. The kids weren't getting me, work wasn't getting me. So just it's an hour, just focus, give them that hour and then pick it up afterwards. That was when everything changed. I need to take that advice. <laughs> <laughs> Any advice for moms on how to reclaim their style? Yeah, so this is something we hear a lot from our, we call them dudas, our customers. And they say that we've we've helped with that because I think you can often lose your style. If you go on maternity leave, you're suddenly not with colleagues. You're not, you, you'd lose yourself sometimes when you're on maternity. And also your body changes and suddenly things maybe don't look quite the same as, as they did. And this is something we try and work on that all of our clothes are super, super flattering. So everything's quite high-waisted. So it skims over the right plate, like the jumpsuit that I'm wearing. It's nipped in at exactly the right place. It's got special little, there's so many tricks with denim that you can use to lift bottoms, to tuck in tummies, to have little little darts in just Ooh, the right place. I need to place. try one of those. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Everyone who tries this jumpsuit on looks incredible. It's like, we're, however tall, whatever shape, it's, 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 um, it's a good one. But I think for us, we try and give us lots of advice on finding the right shape that suits you, but then also just going for it with color, with print, like joy, just have fun with your clothes. Don't just hide underneath. Don't just, just wear a lot of, some people just wear black all the time. And sometimes I only want to wear black and that's absolutely fine too. But actually have fun with it. Experiment, try on something. You never know. It makes you put, puts a big smile on my face when I put a really beautiful, colorful dress on. So experiment, have fun with it. Did your personal style change 
since you had kids? I think now, I mean, the the good thing for me is I basically, anything that I want to wear, I bring into the collection. So it's like, it literally is, I'm like a, a kid in a candy store. I go to the design team, like, I'm, I'm really channeling, like at the moment, I've literally just said, I'm desperate for a sequined jumpsuit. And it's like, <laughs> so we're, we're already planning them oh in God, for best the job next ever. <laughs> it totally is. Same with bags or with anything else. I'm going, God, I'm just dreaming of a, this color with this and this, and then, and then we make them. It, it, I do feel like the luckiest um, woman alive, to be honest. <laughs> What's one piece of advice you'd give an early stage founder? One thing I wish I could tell myself was bring on some help earlier than I did. So I was on a real kind of head down, do everything yourself, especially seeing as I was recovering from brain surgery. I'm like, surprised I didn't get ill, actually, because I look back to how it, how it used to be and it was pretty hardcore and actually, we could have afforded to bring somebody on. You could normally take someone on earlier than you think you can. Um, so, for example, when I was when I first launched, I was picking and packing all the orders. It was in Jude started sharing a bedroom with Sonny because his bedroom became the pick and pack room. And I was packing orders, and I was packing orders till two o'clock in the morning. And then this was for the, like the first four months that we had that I'd launched Scamp and Dude, and. Liberty had said to me, can we see your next collection? And I was like, what? I haven't got another collection. All I'm doing is packing orders. I'm busy packing. Don't I'm talk packing, to me. packing, <laughs> exactly. And my husband was like, I really don't think this is the best use of your time. I really think we need to put out to a fulfillment company. And I wish I'd put it out to a fulfillment company a lot earlier than I did. But I was so nervous of money that I thought no 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 I must I must do it myself I must prove that I can and then I'll and then I'll move it yeah. so How I can was, founders com combat that blockage in their head about money money is probably uh, the most important yeah. factor right I think you have to take a leap sometimes and, and trust and believe it and if you I wish I'd done that I wish I'd looked and gone we're doing well the set we're growing the sales are going what I think in the back of my head I thought it could always stop but what's the likelihood of it stopping? Look at how you're doing. Don't be ridiculous. Get back yourself a bit and go, come on. And I wish I'd taken someone on sooner. I wish I'd moved into a fulfillment company. I wish I'd done every one of those little steps a little bit sooner. Don't wait till you're on your knees to do it. Just take a few risks, sensible risks, by looking and making sure you have got the finances there. But be brave. Be brave. And also don't see barriers. That's another one. And, and be positive. So I think... I think you've got to be positive about everything and think of a positive way out of it. If anything happens that's not great, look at it positively. How are we going to fix it? Don't dwell on it. That's another thing I would say. Because are, also... are you better at taking risks now? Yes. The business yes. is more established. Oh yeah, this. definitely yeah, now. Downside. Yeah. I've been hiring quite a lot of people recently and obviously keeping within the percentage that I've turned over that not being silly, but a lot bolder than I used to be. Like, I'm like, we need another person in this team. I need this bit. And, I'm, and it's so nice to be able to do that because you Such know. Such a good feeling, isn't oh my it? God, it feels so good. But I think you appreciate it so much more when you have been in that tiny business of one. <laughs> <laughs> or even when there was only 10 of us. It's like yeah. so different. And then it feels so good when you've got that team and a brilliant team and you just think, God, this is, this is great. Yeah, it's such great advice. I completely agree. Thank you so much, Joe. That was so inspiring. Oh, thank you for having me. It's lovely chatting. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow the podcast wherever you're listening or watching. You can follow me at Connie Nam 
astridemu at astridemu and Unboxed Instagram page at unboxed underscore founder confidential. See you next week.